are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Wednesday here on the Steve Day Show podcast edition here on Westwood One powered by CRTV. And we have a special edition coming up here. Going to be joined by Congressman Jim Jordan. Wants to be the next Speaker of the House. Which means no buy, sell, or hold. We, we also um, aren't going to have commentary after the interview. We're going to let the interview speak for itself. It's kind of we think uh, it's kind of a jerk move uh, for the congressman to actually came to us uh, and asked to come on and address our audience. Uh, it, it's kind of a jerk move to have him on, ask our questions, and then kind of talk about him behind his back afterwards, right? So we're going to let the interview and his answers speak for themselves coming up here in just a matter of moments. We do love to know, though, what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email me. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Todd has the day off. He is following one of his daughters in a national athletic competition, which, of course, is a pretty cool dad day. Aaron is here standing by, though. Aaron, we just wrapped up production for today's CRTV show. You want to give the audience any kind of tease of what's coming up today on CRTV? You know, as a prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, it's kind of rare to see what happened today happen. But at the very end of uh, his segment today, we witnessed him break. And so if you wanted to see, you know, a rubberneck, um, a, a, a prophet of lamentation actually break, I mean, that's saying a lot. Um, that happened today. So brace yourself. It's it's not entertaining, uh, but it is interesting. It's kind of like, I don't know. I won't draw any comparisons or similes because I'm just going to end up getting myself in trouble. But <laughs> it is uh, it, it is it was a good conversation, though. It is striking when a guy whose default setting is woe and lamentation says there's just too much lamentation here even for me. Mm -hmm. So you'll get to see Daniel's breaking point today if you are a CRTV subscriber. And if you're not yet, by golly, this is the day you want to see that. Everybody wants to see a grown man broken. CRTV.com, use my name, not just as a swear word, but as a promo code, DACE, D-E-A-C-E, and you will get discounted access to all of the shows here at CRTV, not just ours, but everybody from the great one, Mark Levin, on down. What do I mean by discounted access? How about... Less than a quarter a day. That's all that it costs you. Less than a quarter a day to watch us and the entire team here each day at CRTV. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. As promised, join now by Congressman Jim Jordan, who is vying to be the next Speaker of the House. He's the guest here on today's edition of the Steve Day Show podcast, courtesy of Westwood One, powered by CRTV. Jim, how are you? I'm doing fine. Good to be with you. So, Jim... um, A couple of years ago, when there was an effort to depose Boehner and there wasn't a candidate to rally behind uh, Mm -hmm. for an alternative, you and a few others were were folks, conservatives, were looking for to be maybe that candidate. And a lot of, and you guys kind of decided that wasn't the right time uh, to launch such an effort. Why is now the right time with Paul Ryan stepping down? Uh, I mean, I think the the frustration with the American people is, is just so high. 
in that um, all too often Republicans will say one thing at a campaign time, and then we get in office, they won't do what they said. Mm-hmm. And I, I say this all the time. And I, I had noticed I, that, Jim. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I say it because I believe it. We make the job too complicated. It's real simple. What did you tell the voters you were going to do when they gave you the privilege to come serve them, represent them, their family, their business in the United States Congress? What did you tell them you were going to do? Go do that. And frankly, we haven't done that. I mean, we've, we've certainly the tax cuts have been good, and that that's a that's a big win. But what have we done on the border security wall? What have we done on welfare reform, requiring able-bodied people to actually do something in order to get your hard-earned tax dollars in the form of some kind of benefit? What have we done on repealing Obamacare? What have we done on uh, controlling spending? What have we really done uh, as as a as a full house to hold uh, the DOJ and the FBI accountable for the for the the wrong that they did that is now becoming more and more obvious? So that that is what has to change and. Frankly, I'm at a point where uh, I feel like somebody's got to um, uh, lead, and that's what I want to do if given the opportunity. Uh, if we can keep the majority and if given the opportunity to speak of the House, that's what we're going to focus on. Why is it so hard for the leadership in your party to follow through on what they campaigned on? Why is that so difficult? Because the whole town's against them. The whole swamp, the establishment, whatever you want to call it, the American people keep trying to send that town a message. They did it in 2010. You, 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 we know this. You did it in 2010. The American people said, let's be tired of Obamacare, tired of the crazy spending, made Republicans give us control of the House. 2014 did the same thing with the United States Senate, put Republicans control of the Senate. They've, they've tried to send messages along the way in smaller ways. When Dave Bratt was elected against Eric Cantor in that, in that primary, uh, they, they, and of course they sent the big message. 2016, when they when 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 President Trump became president, someone that nobody in this country thought could win, nobody, the American people said, "We're for that guy because we so want to shake up that town." So the town is just always resisting. And what happens is members will say one thing, get elected, get to Washington, and there's a thousand ex- reasons and a thousand excuses why you can't do what you know you should do, and more importantly, what you told the American people you were going to do. And that is what's got to change because we're at a point where um, you think about the debt situation, you think about what's happening, and you think about what the Democrats are campaigning on, it has to change. And so um, that's what I want to focus on, if given the chance to, uh, to leave the House. The environment you're describing there in the Beltway, it, it's similar to an analogy I've used with our audience in the past, Jim. I've compared it to District 1, the capital, in the Hunger Games. That yeah. when you spend a lot of time there, and in, in my current line of work, I, I don't have to you know live there most of the year like you do, but I've had to visit more times than I'd like to, and you just yeah. get the sense that it really, it, and it's almost a bipartisan sentiment. You get the sense that the culture of that community operates on the assumption that the rest of us would simply shut down if if we didn't have their directives from on high and that essentially yeah. we out here uh, exist to serve them. No, it, it, well said. I mean, I've been traveling our district <clears throat> the last three days talking to regular people who make the, make the country work. And they, they, they share what you just described. That town is so out of touch and think about now, and this will, you know, I'm going to sound partisan here, but think about now what the Democrats are saying. Think about what their campaign message is. Mm-hmm. They're saying, if we, we want to raise your taxes, we want to socialize medicine, we want universal income, we want to uh, uh, abolish ICE, and we want to grow government, and we want to impeach the president. That's their campaign message. And, and we sh- it should be so easy to beat these guys 
and maintain control of the House of Representatives if we were simply just doing what we were elected to do in 2016. But because we haven't done enough of that, right now it's a 50-50 proposition whether we're going to keep the House or not. And so that's what's at stake here. Let's go do what we, we come back into session. Let's, let's, why, why wouldn't we reform welfare? Why wouldn't we build a border security wall? Why wouldn't we send a bill to the Senate that says if you're an able-bodied adult and you don't have minor children, you got, your kids are six years old. So just start with this basic premise. If you're an able-bodied adult and you have no kids under six, you cannot get a benefit from the federal government unless you do something. Why not just that basic premise and send that to the Senate and see what happens? Why not just do things like that, that 85, 90% of the country says, that is just good common sense. Why in, the, why in the heck isn't that the law already? Those are the kind of things that we should be doing to help us keep majority, keep the majority in the House so we can further do the good things that need to get done. So one of the big things we stress on our show, Jim, is, is we stress really two big things, worldview and then how do we do what we believe. Now, I don't really think I got to get into the worldview conversation with you too deeply. I, I've seen your voting score, your liberty score here on our site at Conservative Review. And so, you know, that kind of speaks for itself. But you're not running for philosopher, right? You're running for speaker. And so how yep. do we do the stuff that you just said you'd like to do? I, I want to take you through a few no, scenarios of the last couple okay. of years and, and a few yep. specific ones and, and ask you in each case, what would have been different if you were the speaker? All right. So I want to start with the Obamacare repeal early last year. When your leadership put forth a repeal that wasn't a repeal, you guys in the Freedom Mm -hmm. Caucus tried to fight back against that. The president has people on both sides of his ear uh, of advisors telling him it's it's not a repeal, and it is. You guys, and I know this for a fact, you guys are getting calls from conservatives saying, why won't you help the president repeal Obamacare? And you guys are like, well, because the bill doesn't actually repeal Obamacare. So you're trying to navigate this, right? If you were the speaker how would january february and march of last year when you had the momentum coming off the election how would that have changed the ability and opportunity to really repeal obamacare yeah and you i think you already know the answer to this this, steve remember before inauguration day when we were talking about putting a repeal a repeal bill bill on uh president trump's desk on on day one remember Mm -hmm. that all that talk Mm-hmm. And then what happened is our leadership rolled out this thing they called repeal that repealed some, but didn't repeal all. It was different. It, did, it was three buckets and this, that. It was the most convoluted, complicated thing anyone had ever seen. And frankly, it wasn't what we told the voters we were going to do, which is a pretty, you know, pretty basic premise you should follow. So what, what we would have done, what I would have done, is simply take the bill we passed the previous Congress. Now, it, 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 got, it, got all, it, was, it was the repeal effort that we passed and put on President Obama's desk, and he vetoed it. Why not just start with something we've all already passed, put that on the president's desk on day one and pass that and have the president sign it. And then you can work on the replacement element. You can say you could do exactly what the bill did in the last Congress, the one that we passed and put on President Obama's desk. It it said you had a year to actually implement any type of replacement before the repeal. But you would go ahead and pass the repeal. So it passed the exact same thing that everyone, every single Republican in the House voted for that, every single Republican senator except one voted for that, put that on the floor, pass it, let the president sign it, and shazam, you've done exactly what we all campaigned on, and then you can work on the replacement. And then, by the way, there's actually a deadline there's a, which, which influences behavior, and you've got, a, you've got incentive and reason to actually get a good replacement that empowers families, empowers better, uh, it brings back lower-cost insurance, all those things that we talked about doing. 
That would have been so simple and so direct, but no, no, no. Washington did its typical convoluted three-bucket process that made no sense. The spending bills, the omnibus bill, and, you know, uh, we are of the opinion here at Conservative Review that while we are pleased to see the growth economically, the debt load is so high that if, if we didn't have the size government and debt that we currently have, we actually think with, with the tax cut, we could be seeing 6 or 7% growth like we saw in the 80s, yeah. uh, but we're limited by the debt load. And so the president was adamant that he didn't want to sign an omnibus bill earlier this year. Uh, your leadership in both houses sent him one anyway that fully funded Planned Parenthood, every Democrat scheme, nothing really substantive for the wall. He signed it anyway, vowed, yeah. I'm never going to do this ever again. And, and there's already talk that Ryan and McConnell are going to put another one on his desk after Labor Day. And you've got the president today saying on Rush Limbaugh, he actually doesn't want to do this again. He thinks we ought to have a shutdown fight over what we really believe. You've got John Cornyn uh, texting out uh, links to you know anonymous quotes from the Wall Street Journal saying the president has agreed we have to put off this fight. Because I've been in this a long time, Jim, as have you. And one thing I've learned in the Republican yeah. Party is next time never seems to come, right? So if never you were happens. the speaker yeah. right now, what would be different with this debate? Well, the first thing that would be different is I would point out a couple things. One, there's been one government shutdown. Uh, this this uh, year, and it was by Chuck Schumer way back in January when he got a short-term spending bill, and he said amnesty is more important than funding the troops, and he shut the government down for that weekend. And the American people over the weekend said, you're crazy. You're not going to pay our troops because you think amnesty is more important. And on Monday, he came back in and said, Shazam, I've seen the light, and we're now going to uh, open the government back up. So no one wants to shut down, but we do have to do what we said. Here's where we screwed up. Back during the omnibus, with that Chuck Schumer example in the background, that was the framework. Schumer had already shut the government down once over amnesty. We now go into this fight uh, over the omnibus. And instead of doing what we told the voters we we're going to do, which is make sure our troops have what they need to defend this great country, but don't grow the rest of the government and break the pattern that has existed now under Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer, where for every dollar we get for defense, they get to get a dollar for social welfare spending and non-defense. And it just grows and grows and grows, and the swamp gets more and more and more. We had a chance to break that cycle in light of what Schumer had done earlier in the year with the omnibus bill. But instead, we didn't even have the debate. I always, my background is wrestling, so I always use the, we walked out on the mat, shook the guy's hand and said, we're going to forfeit and let them win. Let's have the, let's wrestle the match. Hmm. Let's have the debate. After all, we had it with the framework with Schumer, what he had done before with amnesty and the troops. We were so poised to win. But instead, we put a 2,232 page bill on the floor of the house. 15 hours to look at it, one hour of debate, no amendments were allowed. We funded things we said we wouldn't, didn't fund things we said we would, namely the border security wall, and it passed, and every single member of the House Freedom Caucus voted against it, and a bunch of other conservatives in the House voted against it as well, but it passed. And the president's instincts were right. He should have vetoed it. He knew this thing was bad, and he said he's not going to do it again. And so let's go back and let's put the two things, let's put two things in the spending bill. Let's put in border security wall funding, and let's put in work requirements for people getting welfare. Put that on the, on the bill, send it to the Senate, and see what, see what Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer do with that. And go have the debate. After all, we got the guy in the White House who's pretty good at debating, pretty good at taking a message to the American people. Let's, that's how you do it different. The other scenario I wanted to ask you about, um, 
involves uh, the the Nunez memo and R- Rosenstein Rosenstein. I don't know how I pronounce his name. I've heard it pronounced both ways. And what did anybody know? And when did they know it? And FISA documents and FISA warrants and et cetera. What should be declassified? So your colleague there in the Freedom Caucus, uh, Congressman Meadows, when I used to do a nationally syndicated show for Salem, I had several affiliates in North Carolina and he would be kind to come on the show frequently. And I enjoyed having him on. So, um, mm-hmm. but I got frustrated. Last week, he had put out a tweet about, again, you guys are being stonewalled by DOJ, et cetera. And I was like, you know, I I got a family. I'm like a lot of Americans. Yeah, I'm pretty pissed about this. But uh, instead of just getting pissed about it, like, let's subpoena some people. Let's hold them in contempt of Congress. Let's, let's, you know, uh, impeach some folks. And I tweeted this back to Mark. And so all of my followers saw it as well. I think I speak for a lot of Americans that are like, you know, I've seen this show on Fox News before. I know I'm supposed to be angry, but I have a busy life. And so if we're not going to do anything about any of this, then what is the point, right? So what would be different right now if you were the speaker on that front? Well, I think we... I think I think we have to hold Rod Rosenstein in, in contempt because remember the facts. Numerous letters have been sent asking for documents they were not complied with. Two subpoenas exist that they are not in compliance with. The one from the Judiciary Committee was sent on March 22nd of this year. We have caught the Department of Justice hiding information from us that they should not have been hiding from us, redacting things that were not no reason to redact them. They just didn't like them because they were potentially embarrassing. And we know Rod Rosenstein has threatened, uh, personally threatened, committee staff members on the uh, House Intelligence Committee. And then you couple all of that with what they did with the dossier. And so look, you take a dossier, an opposition research document, you pretend it's real intelligence, you take it to a secret court, don't tell the court who paid for it, don't tell the court that the guy who wrote it has been fired by the FBI because he's out leaking information, and you use that to get a warrant to spy on the other party's campaign, it doesn't get any more wrong than that. So, yeah, you should be mad, but the action should be let's hold people accountable. And to some degree that has happened. James Comey has been fired. Deputy Director Andy McCabe, True. lied three times under oath, yep. faces a criminal referral, has been fired. Mm-hmm. So so Jim Rabicki, chief of staff, has been has left the FBI. Jim Baker, chief counsel, was demoted at the FBI before he left. Lisa Page, FBI counsel, was demoted before she left. Peter Strzok has been demoted. Deputy head of counterintelligence has been demoted. When have you ever seen that? So some have been held accountable. That's a good but, point. Yeah. We need to we need to do more. So uh, I say continue to push. And if it comes to the point where they are not going to give us the information, then you got to you got to actually file impeachment articles, which Mark and I did. And you got to bring it up for a vote and, and impeach Rod Rosenstein. If I could get to a common thread, as I asked you about three specific scenarios and your answers of how you would approach them differently if you were the speaker right now, the common thread seems to be what is your priority? And maybe you don't want to say it, but I'll ask the question anyway. What I hear you saying is that the priority of your current leadership is not keeping its promises to its own electorate, to its own base. That's just not the priority. Otherwise, if it would, you, we would be doing the things you're talking about, right? Here's what I see, what I've seen play out in Washington in the time I've been fortunate enough to represent the, the families and folks of the 4th District of Ohio. All too often, there's always some reason, some, and it, sometimes it sounds good, some reason to, as you said, postpone. We'll get to it later. We'll, 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 we'll deal with it in the next bill, and let's live to fight another day. There's always a reason to postpone the promises you made to 
the American people when they gave us the privilege to go serve. Mm-hmm. That has got to change. We are way past the conventional way of doing things that, oh, we'll finally get around to that. We're at a point where the American people are so frustrated with that town, they are demanding we go do what we said. And we have to do that. And now part of, part of making that happen, and this isn't the most, you know, the sexiest thing to talk about, but part of making that happen is actually changing the process in, inside Congress. Why in the world should the speaker and the majority leader and a handful of people on the, the steering committee determine who gets to be chairman of all the committees, that, the, the standing committees in Congress? There are going to be nine committee chairmanships open up next year. Nine committee chairmanships. I, my attitude is let the people on the committee determine who their chairman is going to be. They know the kind of policy promises we've made to the American people. They know who's best equipped, who has the talent, the skill set to actually lead a committee and get things done that we promised the American people. Let's change the way Congress operates. And I think when you do that, you give yourself an even better chance of keeping our word and doing what we were elected to do. So those are the kind of changes I'd make internally as well. I think that makes so much – right now it's so much – it's just a few decisions or a few people making all the decisions at the top. Each of us in the Congress represents three quarters of a million people. Empower those people, empower those members so that they're actually their constituents who elected them are also empowered and you will get better policy. Let's do it that way. Final question I want to ask you, uh, Jim, is uh, it's no secret there is an enthusiasm gap. Now, I think you guys started this year with an, the Grand Canyon-sized enthusiasm mm-hmm. gap between you and the Democrats. I think you have closed it, but there is certainly still a gap. And I think a lot of that gap, frankly, are a lot of people that are becoming increasingly, and I would be one of them, just increasingly frustrated that, you know, nothing's going to change. They're going to do, it doesn't, they're just going to do whatever they want to do, and and there's no leverage we can hold. They don't even care what we think half the time. I I, I think your best chance to be elected speaker is to convince that group of people. And, and frankly, your party's best chance to hold on to the House this year uh, is to convince that group of people to to stay in the game or to reinvest in it some more. I'm going to give you as much yeah. time as you want. My last question would be, what is your pitch to them? What would you say to that group of people that are that are just throwing their hands up and saying, you know what, if they didn't get this, if they didn't get the message after this last election, then they're just incapable of getting it. Yeah, I would say look at. Look at my uh, time in in the House of Representatives. Um, the guy who's been fighting for taxpayers. I'm the we're part of the. I was part of the group that formed the Freedom Caucus, which everyone said, "Oh, what are these guys doing? This thing's never going to be effective." It's now viewed as the most powerful caucus on Capitol Hill. Uh, I was the guy that was was leading the charge on the uh, IRS when they were targeting people for their political beliefs. The Internal Revenue Service was doing, and then. The, the, we, I was. I had the, the privilege of serving on the Benghazi committee, and Mr. Pompeo and I wrote a separate report highlighting the the, the what the wrongdoing and, and why they did what they did in the in the Obama administration, particularly at the Secretary of State's office with Secretary Clinton, and then of course with this FBI and DOJ. So 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 look at that, and then I would tell him this: the president, think about this in a year and a half under President Trump. In a year and a half. We have seen regulations reduced, taxes lowered, the economy growing at an unbelievable rate, unemployment at its lowest in 20 years. Gorsuch is on the court. Kavanaugh is on deck. We're out of the crazy Iran deal. The embassy is going to Jerusalem, and the hostages have been returned from North Korea. An amazing year and a half. But on that list, the only real thing that the Congress has helped with is the tax policy. Now, that's important, and it's good. But where have we been on building the border security wall, a wall and, and reforming immigration? Where have we been on reforming welfare? Where have we been on controlling spending? Where have we been on repealing Obamacare? Where, 
Those are the things that have to change. And so my, what I want to do, if given the opportunity, is be more aggressive in doing exactly what we were sent to Washington to do. Congressman Jim Jordan, I uh, want to appreciate uh, you giving us a good block of time today, and I want our audience to know you, you guys Thank actually you. came and asked us if you could talk to our audience, uh, and we appreciate you taking the initiative to do that. So good luck to you, Jim. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Thanks for all the good work doing. Take care, Steve. Take care. Well, again, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Theology Thursday coming up tomorrow on the podcast. If you have a moment today, please click subscribe or leave us a review there on iTunes and Stitcher. Those really do help others to find out about us. Many of you have done that already, so thank you very much to you. Let's keep those coming, please. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it.